Welcome into the Locked on Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw and Alex Wolf. And today we are once again joined by the people's champ, Schwinny Pooh. Alex, what are we getting into today with the legend? We will be continuing our big questions that we had after the season. The first one covered Tibbs. This next one, naturally, and in progression, covers what the outlook could be like for the Knicks if Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin are their starting options next year at the point guard and the power forward position which hopefully could be a, a thing that could be a, a likely thing to happen for next season. So we're going to talk about that, including some great stats, arguments about it, and much more coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. We want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. And we're now available on all platforms, including, and you know this if you see our smiling faces on YouTube. So please go check us out. Please go throw us a subscription, a like, a comment, uh, however you can contribute. It really does make a big difference if you're a fan of the podcast. And even if you're not, it's a nice thing to do. Um, I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster currently. Focusing my efforts uh, on lacrosse. You can check that out on the Varsity Media Sports Network and the NFHS Network. He is Alex Wolf, editor of the Strickland, the greatest next website out there. You can find them um, on the internet at thestrick.land. Um, and we are joined by uh, perhaps perhaps the, super, the the alpha dog of the Strickland. Can I can I say that, Alex? Is that is that an insult to you? I don't know, but he's, no. he does does a whole lot of work um, on Pod Strickland. He also does the Strick and Roll podcast once every other week. He's on. Um, What's what's the name of the mailbag pod? Nixmail.bag every other week. Oh, okay. yeah, that's 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 easy. I shouldn't forget that. Um, but yeah, he he does an incredible amount of work. Uh, just just reading his Twitter, I, like when I when I just want to catch up on what is going on um, in on the Knicks, and I want a highly informed and, and slightly vitriolic perspective. Of Schwinn is is always who I check out. So without further ado, let's continue our conversation uh, with Schwinn talking about Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin. We're going to build our ideal off seasons in a minute at least as of right this second you know we're like two days removed from the final game of the season so there's still a lot of stuff that's going to come out a lot of rumors a lot of this that the other a lot of things we're going to talk ourselves into uh you know as as like if a Jalen Brunson rumor becomes you know more uh uh pronounced you know we'll start talking ourselves into it as that comes even if you know as of right now we might say like let's roll quickly but let's just pretend for a moment that basically all that happens is you know however it happens let's say that you know the team trades Julius which I agree with you Sean I think is the most likely outcome um I just think at this point it sounds like there's just too much smoke for there not to be fire there as far as him wanting a trade you know that still the one that comes the most to mind is that Bulls game where you know, the young players pull out this awesome win. Julius had a bad game. His first reaction is to slam the ball into the ground, storm off to the locker room instead of celebrating with his teammates simply because he had a bad game. It just sort of feels like things have reached their tipping point there. And, you know, 
they're going to have to trade him at this point. Um, but let's just assume that they trade him and make minimal moves otherwise, maybe just a couple things around the margins, decide to roll out quickly in top in next year. Um, how good would they end up being? I mean, you brought up some good, you know, compelling stats there about how good their their you know net rating is together. And, you know, the fact and the fact that even without Derek Rose, they were still an overwhelming positive. Um, Emmanuel quickly, his last 20 games, put up 16, 6 and 5 in 28 minutes a game uh, with 44, 39, 84 shooting splits, you know, but like I think he was basically like I think he was basically like 60 true shooting over that time, too. Yeah, exactly. Like just phenomenal numbers. And then like Obi Toppin as a starter, 20 points per game, seven boards, three assists, a steal and a block, 57% from the field, 44 from three, 82% from the free throw line. I mean, those are great numbers. And, you know, you could question the the competition level a little bit, obviously, um, because, you know, there was uh, they were playing some teams that were resting guys or had injuries or whatever down the stretch. But, you know, I said this, I've said this before, you know, here or otherwise, like you can't, you can't point out that and then just ignore the fact that plenty of other Knicks starting caliber players really played terrible against basically G League rosters in the middle of this season, which yeah, everybody seems to the, forget. Do you remember that Piston? The, there was that Pistons game and then that Wolves game, like right yeah, the Thunder. They, did they, they, I think they yeah. lost to the Thunder right around New Year's. Yeah. And I think there was a Raptors one too, where the Raptors were really depleted. That was early. That, that was earlier in the season, but yeah, that was yeah. really bad. That was like they were missing. I think they were missing Siakam. They were missing Van Vliet. Who like yeah. that's two all stars basically, right? Like that's yeah. that's the team. But, but I mean, here's again, I'm just gonna go back to this. This is via cleaning the glass. The Knicks this year with Emmanuel quickly on the floor played at a 57 win pace. They were a plus 6.7 net rating. Um, with him off the floor, they played at a 27 win pace. Uh, with Obi Toppin, uh, the Knicks when he was on the floor, they played at a 58 win pace, plus 6.8. When he was off the floor, they played at a 33 win pace. Like at some point, yes, the on off data with this team is really wonky because of how terrible the starters were. But here's where it's not is like these guys weren't just positive on off. Like they didn't just benefit from the starter sucking, they were outright positives on their own. Like they, they were plus 6.7 for quickly, plus 6.8 for Obi Toppin. Uh, the net rating is even more obscene for both of them. Like, these are not insignificant. Like, that, that's a major difference, you know? I, like, I don't know. There's only so much they can do, and there's only so many excuses you can make. Like, oh, well, quickly doesn't shoot well enough from the field, and Obi doesn't get enough rebounds, and he gets bullied around. Like, I, who, who fucking cares? Like, all you're telling me is that, like, they're not perfect. Yeah, I agree. They're not perfect. I have never claimed that, you know, they're both like, like, I'm not saying quickly is Steph Curry and Obi Toppin is going to be like, fucking, you know, Larry Bird or something like that's not what I'm saying. But they're clearly high impact players that are improving your team when they're on the floor. If you choose not to play them more or maximize their minutes, like that's just a shitty coaching decision. And Moving forward, like you know, projecting out, why why can't they be starters on a really good team? Like I don't know. Like I, Tyus Jones is out here leading the Grizz to like what were they like twenty two and two or something without Ja this year? You know, like mm-hmm. is Tyus Jones amazing? Is he like a star level point guard? No, 
nobody thinks that he's not going to even get, he's going to get mid-level money this off season, right? Like that's what he's going to get. So I'm not like, you don't need to be a superstar to impact winning at a high level. You know, McCall Bridges is probably one of the best, uh, you know, one of the most impactful players in terms of this stuff. He's not an all-star. He's probably never going to make an all-star team. He probably won't, you know, and that's okay. Like you don't like guys can have star impact without being superstars. Like that's why, like the threshold for RJ Barrett becoming a high level player in his role is so much different than it is for a guy like Obi, for a guy like Quickly, right? Because we know at the very minimum these dudes can slot into like role player slots and be super high impact. Whereas with RJ Barrett, you're hoping for way more than that, right? Like you're hoping that he can be uh, the 28, 30 usage guy that is carrying your offense for long stretches and is a dude that when it hits the fan, you can just throw him the ball and he'll get you a bucket. Like the standard is just very different and the threshold you have to meet is very different. But for what these guys are being asked to do and what we want them to be doing, like, you know, we worry so much about point guard like that, but like if you're going to have RJ and to this, I mean, this season at least, and Randall run so much of your offense, why do you need some point guard who's going to be this like floor general you know, driving into the paint constantly. Like, why was that the standard? It just never made any sense. And you know it doesn't make sense because his pivot was Alec Burks, who is absolutely not a point guard. Like, you know, like, it just, none of it has made sense. And and, and, I think- and to, to make no mention of the fact that Burks is perfectly fine at getting into the lane, but literally one of the worst finishers in the NBA. Like, one of the worst people to task with that. And just not a good passer out of the paint either. Yeah. Like, he's just not a good drive and kick player. Um, but yeah, like, I, I don't, it's impossible to say, but I do firmly believe, like, if you had to make me bet on it, I think if you told me, just as an example, like this year, let's let's do this. If you told me this year you took out every single minute that Kemba Walker played and quickly got every single one of those minutes instead, like, how much better is this team? I think that's probably, like, worth at least two or three wins. And that's because Kemba only played, what, 37 games this year. But, like, you know, like, what is it like if if quickly had just started the entire season, how many wins is that worth? You know, like, I think people are really underestimating how many wins that would be worth. And that is even with Randall playing like a sleeper cell the entire year. So, like, you know, I, I just think, yes, very, very basic logic is this. You take out terrible players that are giving you terrible minutes and you replace them with guys that have been really, really good and gave you good minutes you should benefit quite a bit from that. And in the case of this team, the point guard position, the starting point guard position was terrible with Kemba. It was actually much better with Burks, but like still not, I mean, it was more of a neutral than an outright negative. Um, and you replace that with a guy who's been your most positive player for two years running. And then at the power forward position, you take out a guy who was, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say about Julius this year other than that he was absolutely terrible across the board. And you replace him with a guy who not only was a massive positive, but plays in a way that activates ball movement and gets the like the team moving and gets the offensive flow going in a way that was so like this team was crying out for all year. Um, I, I just think the gains from that would be a lot more than than maybe we anticipate. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Schwinn in a second. Continue this conversation on uh, just how. 
how good the Knicks could be with Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin uh, playing more significant roles. But first, uh, when the future is too bright, I know I need some great sunglasses. And when I need some great sunglasses, I go to Shady Rays. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, well-constructed durable frames, and premium high-end finishes. Also something you won't find anywhere else is Shady Rays' insane protection program. Shady Rays includes loss and broken protection on every pair. They will send you a brand new pair if you lose them, no matter what happens. So give them a try, and if you don't love them, uh, you'll pay nothing. It's as simple as that. Plus, 10 meals are donated to fight hunger in America when you shop with Shady Rays. Exclusively for our listeners, head to ShadyRays.com and use code LOCKEDON to get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's code LOCKEDON for their best deal of the season, 50% off two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses backed by over 150,000 verified five-star reviews. I know, and I think that's what you're getting into with, with all the stats you're dropping. Like I had, I had one last one, like looking up two-man lineup data for the Knicks with a minimum of 800 minutes played together. Um, Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin, a plus 11.6 uh, net rating. Uh, the highest, the best two-man combo uh, that did not involve di- either player was Alec Burks and Mitchell Robinson. They were a plus 1.6. And I think like those numbers, and, and I mean, when you, you gave a ton of them, they almost don't jive with reality because they're suggesting that these guys are like, like that's maybe not quite to this extent, but it's almost like Nikola Jokic type stuff, right? When you look at the mm-hmm. Denver Nuggets on mm-hmm. up and, and they're like one of the best teams in the NBA when he's on the court and flat out like the worst team in basketball when he's off the court and, and you objectively look at IQ, especially when he wasn't shooting well and Obi, who, who didn't, who became, I mean, to your point, he became Larry Bird over the final five games of the season before that, uh, one of the worst three-point shooters in basketball. Um, like you, you almost can't process it. And you're like, how did those two guys have such a positive impact and I think it was culture drain feels like the wrong word. I'm going to say like fun drain, like the other guys that Tibbs were playing in those positions. Like you could feel Julius, I mean, almost like a Dementor, like sucking the life out of everyone else on the court every time he was there. And, and just, and, and it, it sucked because I feel like everyone else, maybe not everyone else, but the vast majority of this team, they're guys that have such a high give a crap level and have, like play with such passion and play with such focus and it, it it was a bummer to watch because you always knew as a fan that option was available, but instead you just had this presence that, I mean, for whatever was going on with Julius off the court, and we none of us can know that, and like that's that's a tough thing to pin down when we're having these conversations. Like it, it, it just sucked to watch on the court. And Schwinn, this is also something you mentioned, but the great tragedy of this season is just that we don't we didn't get answers to all those questions that were now that are now delayed an entire year how iq can hold up like especially when he wasn't shooting well but but even now like how iq can hold up um consistently playing against teams like the miami heat that that are playing for something and competing for something how obi holds up defensively i mean everyone i mean you i think there was an interview with the knicks player development coach during the last game of the season they were like yeah he still just has to get lower in his stance that was the number one concern with him coming out of the draft and there are going to be certain guys that i think can can victimize him a bit Mm -hmm. defensively on certain nights but can he fully offset that with his offense? All the indicators we have right now are that, yes, he can, and that he does enough things well defensively that he's not a total disaster on that end. And to me, maybe the biggest one is how do those guys blend like their two-man synergy, which is which is obviously incredible, and we've all chronicled like on and on and on throughout the season, with R.J. Barrett, who's like this ISO-heavy get-to-the-rim force, and it's so clear that R.J., you, you cut back to like the last couple of games of the season, he's still figuring out that balance of, okay, I'm just going full-on aggressive, I'm forcing my way to the rim that led to this incredible emergence for him as a 24 point per game scorer post all-star break. 
but balancing that with, I don't have to shoot it every time at the rim. I can kick it out. And we, we've seen games and, and, and stretches where he's looked incredible as a distributor, someone who can get all the way to the basket and throw a hook pass on a dime 20 feet across the court with speed on it um, to a shooter in the opposite corner. And we've seen games where he takes terrible shots and he looks off Obi Toppin wide open in the corner. And and to me, I, I've always felt that bas- that passing is very much contagious. And the way, the verve that IQ and Obi bring with their ability to have those like little give and goes and what they do off the ball, I think that would influence RJ in the best possible way. And if those three guys who, I don't know, maybe I'm forgetting someone, but arguably your three most important dudes going forward, like if they had gotten more substantial time together this season, I think we would have seen that influence on RJ's game and we would have gotten all these answers to how sustainable IQ and OBR and, and, and that positive impact over bigger minutes. My instinct, and I'm sure you guys would agree, is that maybe it's not quite what we've seen yeah, um, yeah. in terms of the impact stats so far, but it's it's going to be a positive just because to your point, Schwinn, it's it screams positive right now. But I, I just I, I think the biggest thing next season, and, and Alex, you can you can lead us off into our final question with this is that you preserve that dynamic and you actually get an answer to what it is. Because I think on the periphery of those two guys, with a Quentin Grimes, with a Cam Reddish, uh, with a Jericho Sims, you have all these complementary pieces that fit perfectly around them. And I just think they need time to gel. And and, and my big fear, the big pit in my stomach, is with Tom Thibodeau, we're, we're going to delay that another season if he remains the head coach. And it seems like he's going to remain. All right, guys, we're going to take one final break before we come back and finish up this conversation on Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin with Schwinn. And uh, well, I assume part of those two guys is success. They seem like guys focused on their nutrition. I know when I want to focus on my nutrition, I look at Athletic Greens. Um, athletic Greens is is my daily go-to um, in terms of a, of a dietary supplement. Uh, I love to take them uh, before I work out. It gives me this boost of energy, but also a certain calm focus. Some people like to go into the gym. They like to be a little bit angry, a little bit fired up. I, I, like, I like to be chill. I like to not be too stressed out. And Athletic Greens uh, achieves that for me. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right their special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus and aging, all the things that you could ever need. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. And this is really important to me because a lot of times you get these green juices, they're stocked full of sugar to make them taste good. Athletic Greens taste good, and it's less than one gram of sugar. There's no GMOs, there's no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. And it helps support better sleep quality, which is something I certainly need. Uh, coming off the trauma of this next season. And, and another big thing for me, it costs less than $3 a day and you're investing in your health. And it's, it's frankly, it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. I've mostly replaced it with my coffee consumption and it has over 7,000 five-star reviews and it's recommended by professional athletes. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition and just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. So maybe after you've had some AG1, you go ahead and have a Built Bar after your workout uh, once you're feeling so good with that AG1 going through your system. And you guys know the drill. Built Bars are the best tasting protein bar on the market. They look like a candy bar. And, you know, contrary to, to what your brain might think when you taste it and you go, wow, this is a candy bar. They're not, in fact, a candy bar. They're a protein bar. And I only make that distinction because obviously candy bars, they're going to fill you with all the, the sugar and the calories and the fat and everything else. You're not going to get all that from Built Bars. All you're going to get is a 
lean experience where you're going to have low calories, low sugar, and a huge amount of protein to help you recover after a workout. To put a number on it, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs per bar, all very low numbers, compared to a whopping 17 grams of protein. And if you haven't tried them yet, be sure to try Built Puffs. They're literally a protein-infused marshmallow covered in chocolate. I don't know how much more selling I have to do than that, but if you need a little more incentive, you could try the the great flavors like cinnamony churro, coconut marshmallow, or banana cream pie. They're some of my favorites. It's truly a mind-blowing experience eating something that tastes kind of like a Malamar, but is actually giving you 17 grams of protein and not a ton of fat and sugar. So if you want to get some for yourself, go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Well, and just real quick, like to that yeah. point, Burks, like, look, we all obviously hated the point Burks thing, but just as a very basic example of how, like, yes, the impact from bench to starter isn't going to be a direct, like, well, now we're a 56 win team, but Burks was like a crazy on off guy from the bench, right? Yeah. He comes into the starting lineup, plays. Knicks were basically like, they were net neutral, right? in his minutes over the course of the season as a starting point guard. And they were with, with Kemba, they were like minus 13.8. And that was like the least optimal change they could have made to the starting lineup, probably at that position. So like that gives you an example right there of what that does when you just insert like a positive impact player into from the bench into the starting group. Does that mean you're like, so you're not going to be, like the Knicks aren't going to take quickly, put him in the starting lineup, and now we're a 58 win team, right? I'm not suggesting that. I don't even think anybody, like, if you ask, what is, what's his name that started cleaning the glass? Um, ben, ben Falk. Yeah. yeah. If you ask Ben Falk, what does this mean? Does this mean that we're going to be a 58 win team if you put quickly in the starting lineup? He would tell you no. But the point is, like, we're not trying to get to 50 wins. We had 37 wins. What are you trying to do? You're trying to get to like 45, 47 wins. Like, adding these positive players and just giving them more minutes, that's like an easy way to just add five, six wins to your or, or to your record. You know, like you'll probably at least play to your point differential, which is 41 and 41 this year. Um, that's, that's the most you can say. And it's like not, a, it's, it's not a negative. And it's, it's, I mean, look, if, if you finish 41 and 41 next year and it's at, it's with a lineup where, quickly RJ and Obi are starting and playing a shit ton of minutes and doing a lot of the offensive lifting. Um, like I don't think any Knicks fan that's reasonable is going to be upset about that or view that anywhere remotely as a negative. That would be like maybe the most positive season the Knicks have had in God knows how long, like in the sense of you're genuinely building towards something. And I think the frustration going from last year to this year isn't just about we were 41 and 31 fourth seed and now you're 37 and 45 and you're out of the playoffs entirely it's it's that it felt like last year was the first step of like okay like we have rj who was starting he's gonna come and like he's gonna be more of a priority next year and he's gonna help us like maybe not next, take the next step but like stay very competitive in the east and then quickly he's gonna take a step up and Obi's going to take a step up, and we're going to add these picks. And uh, with the vets that we add, that we sprinkle in, that's going to keep us a very competitive team. And what was frustrating, I think, was like you saw the young guys do their part, and the coach refused to adapt to the reality that, and not even all the vets, but like very specifically Kemba and Noel, 
were terrible and Rose got hurt and he just never adapted to the point of like, well, we're going to now lean into giving these young guys a lot more of responsibility in minutes because that's the best way for us to win games, you know? And he created this kind of like false dichotomy of like, well, we're trying to win. So I have to play vets. But then as soon as the season went to shit and he started playing, you know, young guys more, uh, and then we started winning. It was. It became like, oh, you know, Tibbs is like he he was doing this all for like their development, and he he was upping their minutes at the right time. It's just you know you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. So the people that did that, they should be embarrassed of themselves and probably just fucking never talk about basketball again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I certainly think it was. You know, there's a lot of mental gymnastics to get around the fact that Tibbs basically just. Just say he did an awful job, and if you want to keep yeah. him after that, that's fine. But like, just say he did a terrible job because he did. I mean, you you can also acknowledge the positives that he's achieved in two years, at, while also acknowledging that he had a bad year and, in many ways, stunted the growth of a lot of players. Who, luckily, by the end of the season, as we saw with like quickly and Obi, at least once they finally were given that playing time, they at least were able to capitalize on it, but who knows how much more they would have been able to capitalize on that if, say, Tibbs had been more open to sitting Randall on nights that he clearly was acting out or whatever and, you know, let Obi just stay in when he was crushing for 10 minutes. You know, let him stay in for 20 minutes or something. Um, How many games that could have potentially changed the outcome of because there was really, there was a number of games that were, won and lost on key substitutions down the stretch where Tibbs would take a OB out or a quickly out who were clearly rolling, affecting the pace and flow of the team and, you know, leading the Knicks towards something looking like a win. You know, maybe they wouldn't have won all those games. There's some games, you know, sometimes you run into the nets or something and it's just, you run into the Kevin Durant buzzsaw and he just switches to winning time and it's over. But there were plenty of other games where the Knicks were in, very winnable spots and then a key substitution down the stretch to bring like, you know, a cold Evan Fournier in who hadn't been playing well for quickly or, you know, Julius Randle who had been having a bad game and for Obi Toppin kind of cost the Knicks the game uh, and, you know, ultimately led to probably, I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable to say like five or six losses that they probably wouldn't have accrued had Tibbs not done that. All right, guys, I hate to break it to you. That is it for this episode of Locked on Knicks. Uh, But like you, we wanted to hear from Schwinn forever. So there is a part three. Tune in tomorrow for that. Uh, We come back with our ideal off seasons. Um, The the general theme is building around the youth, but Schwinn throws throws a couple trades out there that I I really liked and a chance for the Knicks to add stars at the point guard spot um, and at center. So if you want to find out who those guys are, you want to hear more from all three of us, uh, be sure to tune in tomorrow. But until next time, Be good. We'll talk to you soon. Peace out.